This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Ephesians chapter 4. We're finishing up a series on being strife-free. Today, we're going to talk about responding to strife. Back in January, I went on a long trip where I was in my van for quite a, quite a long time. And afterwards, started noticing I was having a lot of back pain. And it, it wasn't... Uh, debilitating back pain. It was just kind of irritating. And most people didn't recognize it except those who were very close to me. In fact, the only one who really, uh, besides Beth, who said something is Pastor David said, Aaron, you've got to fix that. We've got to get that fixed in you because I guess he was tired of seeing me limp around the office. And it, it did affect, uh, affect my sleep some and affected my exercise schedule, uh, uh, quit jogging and all that type of stuff. And so my back just, like I said, it was just nagging. It wasn't this painful experience that maybe some of you have gone through, just nagging pain. Well, later on in that spring, I was at my doctor's uh, just going through a routine physical. And at the end of the appointment, he just said something. uh, You know, the nurse did most of the work and and charted things. And then at the end of the appointment, he just asked me, he's like, well, is there anything bothering you? And I almost forgot, but I just said, in an offhand way, I just said, well, yeah, I've had some back pain. It's bothering me. He asked me some more questions about it. And he got out his little white piece of paper and gave me a prescription. It was a generic prescription. It only cost, with my insurance plan, $10. Went and filled that out. And this little pill that I took, it was amazing because within two days, all of that back pain was completely gone. I, I, I just, I felt like a different person. It was just... I'd never been that excited about getting out of bed or walking across the room or bending over because what had happened is over about a three-month period, I had just grown to live with the pain. And I didn't realize that this, in my case, this little $10 muscle relaxer would change everything. When you, we get accustomed to dysfunction and we get accustomed to things that are wrong, we begin to think... That is normal. And I think that's the issue a lot of us have when it comes to strife. Strife becomes a normal way of life. And it is a normal way of life. That's why today we're talking about responding to it. Because, because there's no way to avoid it. We can only respond. Just like I forgot what it was like to function with a completely whole and healthy back. I think a lot of us don't realize or we've never understood that we can function in peace. You know, it's God's will for there to be peace in your life. There's God's will for you to live in peace and to dwell in peace. And instead, we own our strife. Our strife becomes who we are. And that's why the key verse that we looked at two weeks ago when we said, what is strife, is out of the, new, out of the King James Version, at James 3.15. Let's look at that together. It says, uh, well... Actually, that's not right. It must be James 3, 5, or I put that in there. But I'll read it for you, so go ahead and take that off. These things just tend to happen from time to time. It says this, If you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. I want you to think about that. If you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. A lot of times we begin to, to brag or own and our strife and the, the, the fact that we anticipate beforehand that we're going to engage in this conflict and we're going to win this conflict and we're not going to get run over. We glory in our strife. But the scripture says, listen, don't don't 
brag about your dysfunction. Instead, choose peace and look for peace. I want us to look at a wonderful scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 27. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 27 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire. So there is an us that is pre-Christ. Before Christ in, is in your life, put off your old self, meaning your old personality, your own, your old tendencies. And now 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there was an old you, but through Christ, there's a new you. And you have to put off or resist the old you and say, I want to be the new me. I want to be who Christ is making me. And it goes on in verse 25, it says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. 26, in your anger, do not sin. See, it didn't say that we're never going to get angry because that's a natural human emotion. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And here's a key verse, 27. And do not give the devil a foothold. What a great passage. Remember, don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't let the enemy get into any part of your life, even sticking his little foot in your life. Don't give him any ground. Don't give him any access. Listen, I want to be very clear about something right now. And I want you to understand something because the scripture tells us to not be unaware of Satan's schemes. Satan desires to estrange you from the people you love the most. He wants to divide homes. He wants to divide marriages. He wants to divide kids from children, people from their in-laws. He wants to divide church members. Satan wants to divide you from the people you love. And it just so happens that we have the most tension among those we love the most. Our family and our church. Those seem to be the place where dysfunctional relationships thrive the most. And when we begin to get deceived is when we start thinking like this. Well, when I used to hang out in bars, or when I go to bars, everybody just gets along great. Well, can I just... Remind you that the enemy is not concerned about the unity of the local bar. I've never seen a club that had this great unity that changed the world. He's not really concerned uh, that when those who go to bars and clubs and strip joints and nightclubs or whatever the case is, that when they're really united, because they are, they're united around sin, uh, he's not really concerned about their effectiveness. It's when families get in unity. It's when marriages get in unity. It's when churches get in unity. It's when the, the units that God has chosen, he said he's chosen the family and he's chosen the church, and he said, that's how I'm going to advance my kingdom. It's when those units get into unity that... Hell gets concerned. And so don't be deceived to say, well, you know, the guys I hang out with or the girls I hang out with in sinful atmosphere, they don't have these problems. Well, no kidding, because they are to the beat of the wrong drummer. They're revolving around the wrong activities and the enemy is not planting his attack there. But he, the enemy wants to attack and wants to put division between you 
and the people that you love the most. So we're not unaware of his schemes. We understand what he's doing. And the problem is not the holidays. A lot of times we say, well, holidays just bring out the worst. That's not the truth. Holidays just make us more aware of what Satan's already trying to do. Holidays just gives us more time and, and more opportunity for Satan to do his work. But we're going to redeem the holidays. We're going to take back the holidays. We're going to know that these holidays are going to be a blessing to us and we're not going to dwell in strife. Let's talk a little bit about, before we get into responding to strife, I wanted just to kind of explore a couple of things we didn't talk about. Because I want you to be able to respond right to strife of sources of strife that I don't feel like we've addressed. And here's the first one. I want you to write this down. A source of strife is our imagination. And I want you to understand this because some of you, the enemy is going to begin to speak to your imagination. And that's going to be a source of where strife's going to start in your life. It goes something like this. What do you think they really meant when they said that? We, start, we begin to start imagining people's motives. What was she really trying to say? All of a sudden we hear a comment or a statement from someone we love. And then we say, what were they really trying to say? Why did he look at me that way? All of a sudden our imagination begins to read into people's motives, read into their intentions... Our imagination begins to run wild and we have to submit our imagination to the Holy Spirit and to the Lordship of Christ. And the Holy Spirit's wanting us to use the discernment. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't know the difference between Holy Spirit discernment and human suspicion. So we become suspicious of people all the time. And in our suspicion, we use our imagination to uh, try to judge their motives. Why do they say it that way? What did they really mean? Why do they look to me this way? And the whole time the enemy is getting the victory in your life. Maybe we should just take people at their word. If they say something, we should believe the best. If you love your family members, if you love your friends, if you love your co-workers... And I hope you do. First Corinthians 13 says, love believes the best. It believes the best. One of the things that I tell people in marriage counseling, one of the greatest statements I've ever heard in marriage counseling is this. The best marriages you'll ever see have lots of margin for error. When marriages aren't going well, every little mistake is a huge event. When marriages are going well, there's more margin for error. And I think that's true in our relationships too. When you really love somebody, you believe the best. You choose to believe the best. And there's something within us that says, oh, but we don't want to be caught off guard. We don't want to be blindsided. I just think as believers, we just need to submit that to the Lord. And say, Lord, we're going to believe the best. We're going to believe the best about these people. We're going to forgive them. We're not going to hold the past against them. We're going to be somewhat guarded, but yet we're going to be open, open enough to believe them at their words. Here's a, another thing I wanted to bring up is our exaggerations. Our, our exaggeration. Our exaggerations, when it comes to relationships, goes something like this. I can't believe they said that. He always, whenever you use the word, very rarely is that statement true. He always says it this way. Or here's another statement that, that's usually 
not true all the time. She never participates in this. He always, she nevers. Always and nevers are usually not even true. But they're statements we use to exaggerate the issue, to get people on our side, to present a case against somebody. We'll say something like this. That's exactly what he meant. That's exactly what she meant. We exaggerate the issue. And when we do that, when we do that, we take what could be a small issue and we make it a source of strife. And I just want to encourage you in this. And I want you to think about this. Take this statement home with you. Whenever a very small issue becomes a big deal to you, can I just encourage you to take a step back, to pray, to meditate, to think about it? You see, whatever small issue is becoming a big issue to you, a year from now, you might not even remember it. You might not even care six weeks from now. But what it can do is it can drive a wedge between you and somebody you love. So if a small issue becomes a big issue, take a step back, pray about it. Make sure that your imagination and your exaggeration aren't producing strife in your life. My cousin, I have an older cousin who I just absolutely idolize. And he was a, a great basketball player. His team in 1987 who are 40-0, the only team in the state of Texas to ever do that uh, in Willport, Texas. And I'm going to get to see him this week when I go to Texas for Thanksgiving. And I remember we were at a game one time. My grandma, when she was alive, were with us, and we had kind of like courtside seats. And we're watching the game. And I don't remember exactly what happened uh, and how it happened, whether it was a mispass or if it was a rejection or whatever the case was. But I remember this basketball coming with a very high velocity straight from my grandma's face. I mean, it was just, we looked in this, this basketball, it was as if someone took it and, and just chunked it straight at her and it is flying through right at her face. And, and my uncle almost instinctively to this day, I, I still can't believe he did this. I was impressed. Just slid his hand up there and just knocked it away so much that it got a reaction from the crowd. He didn't, he didn't think about the situation. He simply reacted to what was happening. He didn't think, wow, let's see. The basketball is heading towards grandma's face. Should I do something? What would be the ramifications if this happened? What would I do if this hits her face and how should I respond? He had no time to think about that. Ball going to grandma's face, he slaps it away. Just reacts. And, you know, in life, most of what we do is simply a reaction. When we have relational issues, we don't have time to process. We don't have time to think. We don't have time often to uh, respond thoughtfully. Hopefully we will, but a lot of times, a lot of times we just simply get attacked. You know, I'll never forget a time years ago when I was with my family and uh, we were having a birthday event and I cut a piece of cake. I'm, I'm just relaxed. I'm like... I'm not working today. It was a sunny afternoon. The sermon's over. Everything's relaxed. I cut a piece of cake, have a piece of ice cream. And I'm walking, I'm walking through and I had a a distant family member come and like attack me literally verbally in the kitchen. And like, I mean, it was, it just, it just, I've never had something just attack me like that. And I just responded. I didn't know how to respond. And, and hopefully I think I did respond appropriately at that time. But the, the point I'm trying to make is, In relational issues, 
just like that basketball heading toward my grandma's face, is you, you don't have time to really think through whatever's in your heart just kind of comes out. That's why the first point I want you to write down is this. If you want to respond to strife, you need to make a decision right now today is to forgive beforehand. Choose forgiveness ahead of time. I, I want you to understand something right now, that right now where you stand, you can choose forgiveness. Forgiveness is a very complicated subject. Very complicated subject. So when I tell you this, I'm not giving you some simplistic answer as if to say you can choose forgiveness right now and you'll never have to deal with the emotions and the ramifications of that. Because forgiveness is a funny thing. Because a lot of times, I'd say most of the times, we have to forgive right here in our head before our heart catches up with it. Sometimes we have to forgive with our mouth before our heart catches up with this. Beth and I have a close friend and we were discussing this with her this week and she said she has a daughter who's having trouble with this and she was talking to her daughter and she told her daughter, you have to forgive. And her daughter responded, I don't want to forgive. She said, you have to forgive. And her daughter said, I don't feel like forgiving. And finally the mom said to the daughter, I don't care what you feel like, say the words anyway, I forgive. And that little story demonstrates the complexity of forgiveness, but I think it also demonstrates the heart of the parent. That we understand that unforgiveness is, is a powerful negative force in our life. And we're not going to be so simplistic to say that, uh, that forgiveness is as easy as saying some words, but I believe that it's the first step to your heart catching up to what your words need to say. Yeah, and I, I do want to, to remind you of this incredible scripture in Matthew six fourteen and 15. Within its context, it, it's not... We, we need to understand God's grace within this, but Matthew six fourteen and 15 says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I'll tell you that not today to uh, have your salvation be questioned as much to let you know that unforgiveness is a huge issue. And forgiveness is a huge issue. And we have to submit that to Christ. We get to submit that to Him. But I believe that God, as our parent, just like my friend said to her daughter, is saying this. I don't care what you feel like. Say the words. I I don't care if your heart's not up to it because I have forgiven you. Forgive others. Forgive them. And part of that is making up your mind right now that sometime in the next six weeks, sometime in the next year, sometime in the next six years, someone is going to take you off. Someone is going to offend you. And you can decide right now, I'm going to have an attitude of forgiveness. I'm going to position myself to walk in forgiveness. I'm going to have a posture where I am ready to forgive. It doesn't mean that you don't deal with the ramifications of that to your life and your family. It doesn't mean you, that you don't set up appropriate boundaries in the future. All it's saying is this, is that you have a heart that's saying, I'm ready to forgive. Because Jesus has forgiven me, I willfully and joyfully forgive. I was, uh, one time one of my coworkers and I had a significant uh, argument. And we, uh, I remember this guy, he and I, we were at the pastor's house. We went on the back porch. He and I had this huge argument and some 
some tension was under underneath the underneath the, the surface, and we dealt we we dealt with it. We both we really had, had quite an exchange, and it just didn't really end. It didn't resolve. About two days later, he's getting ready to drive a van full of kids uh, up to Oklahoma, and. I'm there helping, helping everyone to get launched, and I see him, and I see the kids, and I see the van, and all that. And I just went over to him, and I said, hey, roll down the window. And I just told him, say, hey, listen, I know that we had a fight a couple of days ago, but I just want to let you know, uh, we'll work this thing out. I'm sorry about it. Can we work this thing out? You know, I'm praying for you guys. I just want to make sure you and I are clear. And he said, yeah. He said, he said yeah, we'll talk about this when I get back. Well, I thought that was a good exchange. Over the next few months, over the next few months, uh, our relationship wasn't quite where it needed to be. It culminated in this. Nine months, nine months after that first incident happened, our pastor called us in and we had a meeting with the three of us. And pastor, the pastor said, there's, there's an issue I've become aware of. And he went on to say, your colleague is upset about this conversation I had nine months ago. And I just want to tell you that at that moment, I was completely shocked. And I might not have told the story exactly right, because when I was sitting there in that moment, I had totally forgot about that incident. I thought that we had dealt with it when I went to the van. (laughs) And I thought that things were clear with us. And I had no idea that for nine months, this guy had some resentment towards me. So I apologize. We made things right there. But here's the point I I want to make in that story to illustrate something, because I've been on the other end of that, too, where I've held on to resentment way too long. And the story is is this. If you want to respond right to strife, here's the second thing that I want you to write down, is that you need to deal with the offense or release it. You have one of two choices. If someone's ticked you off, if someone's offended you, if someone's hurt, hurt you, you, you have to do one of two things. You either deal with it or release it. The worst thing you can do is to hold on to an offense and, and, and to carry it and to own it and to go weeks and months and even years and even years without dealing with something. I remember when I was a young child uh, that... That part of my family was just huge, gigantic, and there were we we had this family reunion, and I noticed that two of the older cousins, much older than me, my parents' age, weren't interacting, and and there was a lot of tension behind that. I, I remember asking the question. I said, "Why don't these two family members get along?" And the story went like this: story went that 30 years earlier, when they had gotten married, one of them had gotten married. The cousin was supposed to be in the wedding, but she had an opportunity to go to a trip in Europe. So she did not go to the wedding, went to the trip in Europe. And they didn't talk for 30-something years. Now, that's a shocking story in some ways, but I know that story in different form is true in this room right now. I know it is. I know it is. And I'm I'm just telling you, you have one of two choices. You have to release that offense... Or you have to deal with it. Now, we talk about Matthew 18 a lot. Everybody throws out the term, we need to do Matthew 18, and sometimes we forget what it is. And I'm just going to read part of Matthew 18, verse 15 and 16. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. I want you to think about this. That's called dealing with it. 
If you, you're, you, there's a sin, there's an offense, you go straight to that person first. Deal with it. Deal with it or release it. And that's how you deal with it. You go to that person alone. I don't know why I get so authoritative there. Like, you go to that person alone. <laughs> that was supposed to be a part where I was supposed to be more gentle. You go to that person alone. Then, verse 18, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And the next verse goes on and talks about then taking it to the church. But here's the point I want to make is this, is that we cannot hold on to something. We either have to deal with it or release it. I'm more of a person I like to release stuff. I, you know, and I give myself, I don't know, I've never really thought about this. There's, there's no sign, science to it or scripture to it, but I, I give myself about two weeks to, to deal with something. And if, if, if after about two weeks, I'm either going to go to that person or, or I'm just going to act like it didn't happen or, or let it go. And especially when I talk to someone and they apologize to me, then that's a hard thing. I've really got to let it go then. And that's just a better way to live. It's a way to respond to strife. And God wants you to do that. You have to decide ahead of time, I'm going to walk in forgiveness. I'm going to deal with something or I'm going, I'm going to completely release it. You know, one of the things that our soldiers deal with, and, and when I talk to you about this, I don't want to treat it trivially because it's, it's, one of the most tragic, it's one of the most tragic things that happen in war. And someone who has never served my country before, I don't. I don't fully understand this, and so please understand my heart when I say this. I'm not trying to minimize this, but there's something known as friendly fire. And friendly fire has to be one of the most devastating things, and it's when our soldiers, our soldiers of any nation, are exchanging in battle with who they think the enemy is, but it's actually their comrades. And, and that's just something that happens. It's just one of the, that's just one of the negative things that happens in war. Friendly fire. And I think that one of the things we need to remember when we respond to strife is this. Is that our opponent and our enemy is not the person who's offended us. Is not the person that's causing a problem. Strife doesn't come from a person. It comes from a force. It comes from a spiritual force. It comes from the evil one. One of the big mistakes we make is we personify the strife. And we attach the strife to a face and to a name of someone we're supposed to love. Here's the last thing that I want you to write down. We have to respond to strife. We must spiritually resist the strife. Spiritually resist the strife. Realizing this is not, this is not an earthly battle. This is a spiritual battle. The strife might have come through somebody's comments. It might have come through somebody's attitude. It might have come through someone who's unjust. But can I just challenge you to realize that it's ultimately spiritual forces that want to cause strife in your life. It's not necessarily that person. It's the spiritual forces within that person or within those relationships. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 and 12 is such a great reminder of this. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Then we know that the devil's scheme is strife. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual 
forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Can I just remind you that the strife that you face, the strife you will face, does not come from people. It comes from the forces of hell. And that way you can fight strife, but you don't fight it through human techniques and human efforts. You fight it spiritually. You fight it spiritually. You can fight strife. And God has given you strategically. He has placed you in places. You carry the Holy Spirit. You're carriers of the Spirit. You're a Spirit-baptized filled Christian that you can make a difference where there is strife you can bring the peace because the battle is not against people and the battle is not against systems and the battle is not against family heritage the battle is in the spiritual realm you see when I see when I see our future I see us I see us moving into a a place and a time where there's a greater point of peace and there is hope Because the battle is the Lord's. We struggle not against flesh and blood. We don't struggle against personalities. We don't struggle against earthly systems. We struggle against the enemy's schemes. And we've exposed those. And we're going to speak against those. Come on, let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. We just begin to pray. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information. 